Good evening. You're listening to Reddit's Block on CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary on Treaty 7 lands and Métis region of Alberta sections 5 and 6. On today's show, you'll hear from Roselle M. Gonsalves about her memoir, The Ordinary Turned Precious, about her early years with her family in India and then arriving in Canada. After that is Wayne Ng with his novel, The Family Code, about a mother and son who are having difficult times, set in Ottawa. So let's get into the show. My name is Jenny Kwong, your host. Hi, my name is Jenny Kwong for Writer's Block on CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary. Today, I'm speaking with Roselle M. Gonsalves about her new book, the Ordinary Turned Precious, A Quest for Belonging. So welcome, Roselle. Hi, Jenny. Thank you so much for having me. And so this is a memoir that you wrote. And so uh, what prompted you to uh, start this project? Yeah, you know, I've I've always been a writer. It's always been a creative outlet for me. And uh, I'm I'm a storyteller just by nature, but also I'm an ethnographic researcher, so a storyteller by training as well. And uh, I work in the field of inclusion and reconciliation. And I often say, you know, within my work that the most powerful tool we have to create more spaces of inclusion is for us to be able to tell our stories to one another and to be able to listen to one another's stories. And so about a year ago, I thought, you know, uh, I appreciate having a creative outlet. I like writing. And I think that there's something powerful in being able to share um, a story that is personal to me with the world, both as an exercise of, of my own creativity, um, but perhaps also as a function of, of my professional landscape and my commitment to democratizing um, storytelling so that we amplify voices, um, you know, from, from a variety of different spaces um, and, a, and a diversity of different backgrounds. And so... Uh... At this point in your life, uh, what made you decide to uh, share something personal about yourself? Yeah, you know, it was the, the right time, but also it, it was the right sort of um, opportunity to create some of that space within my own life. Um, I have, you know, a fairly robust a career and a lot of volunteer and service work that I do, but I wasn't sort of, um, you know, shoring up my own creativity and shoring up sort of my own practice of um, refueling my own self and telling my own story. And so, you know, I made a commitment last year to sort of create that time and space in my own in my own life. And so, what that meant was, you know, waking up earlier than I would normally would and being intentional about carving out that space and time to contribute to this storytelling initiative and you know what resulted a, a year into it was was a book and so what was it like to go back to your earlier memories and to tell them to an audience who might not have heard your stories before yeah you know i wrote um First, without thinking about the the format and the um, you know the final shape of the project or the book, uh, I didn't think about you know who, where is this going to land or who is it going to land with. I really thought about I need to get these stories out onto the page, and then the second half of the process of the book writing was really 
crafting it into a shape of a story, you know, from beginning to end? What were the themes and the messages that I would like to permeate? What are the themes, messages, stories that I would like for an audience uh, to to receive and to read? Um, and so really being intentional about first part, which was writing and getting it all out, and then the second part, which was the editing and crafting it and shaping it into a memoir that had a very particular um, point of view, a very particular perspective, and a, and a desire to connect my very particular story with sort of those broader, perhaps universal themes of belonging, um, finding meaning, uh, recognizing the value of being from uh, different places being connected to different things and feeling sometimes that that idea of being in between two things. You know, I t- go, go through this in the story where being a child immigrant often meant that I felt like I was between two cultures. I was simultaneously Indian and then simultaneously Canadian. And oftentimes being between those two cultures meant that I didn't always feel like I belonged to either. And I know that that is something that so many people feel um, regardless of where they come from or or their age group or stage in life. And so I really wanted to connect my particular story to those broader themes. And what was it like to talk about your relationship with the people around you, like your mother and your family members? Yeah, you know, I think that the story delves into some pretty personal territory. And the hindsight of many years of, you know, uh, reflecting and integrating some of my own life experiences um, was only amplified and accelerated through the journey of writing this book because I got to almost have this perspective back on my own life from the vantage point of now a writer or somebody who's releasing it out into the world, which meant integrating those stories more deeply into my own journey and into my own uh, narrative. And so going back to some of those earlier experiences, going back to some of those, um, you know, memories, and then being able to um, re-remember them, retell them, and then re-share them, but with the intention of, you know, it landing with somebody who might not know me as a person, but is only reading the story for the first time. What is the broader why behind why I want to share that? And so I, you know, started off with my why, and my, my why was twofold. My purpose was twofold in writing the book. One was to remove the shame of sharing certain stories that I think so many of us that have experienced uh, difficult life experiences have been taught to to hold around those stories. So I wanted to remove my own shame around sharing some of those stories. And then the second purpose for, for sharing some of these stories was also to create an invitation to the reader to invite that removal of shame from their own lives and their own stories um, that, you know, we, we all have in some way, shape, or form. And how was uh, telling your own story help with your own uh, reconciliation process? I'm sorry, could you repeat that question? Uh, how was uh, able uh, telling your own story, how did that help with your uh, reconciliation journey? With my reconciliation journey, yeah. do you mean um, around Indigenous communities here on Turtle Island? Yes. Yeah, you know, I think that 
in many ways, some of the stories that I share as a person coming from a colonized community and now as a person who has built a life uh, in a colonized place, uh, as a guest on, on land that I am not indigenous to, it really created for me an amplification of my duty to good relations with um, the original peoples of Turtle Island. It also re-emphasized um, for me my desire for relations and good relations across um, cultures, across communities, and the commitment to really sitting with one another's stories in order for us to be able to understand um, where one's journey has taken um, one, whether it's at the individual level, whether it's at the communal level, because all of those things really contribute to our sense of who we are and how we can commit personally as an individual, but also societally towards creating pathways for building truth and trust, which are the foundational building blocks, I do believe, um, for any kind of reconciliation to happen. And it's uh, pretty exciting with uh, the launch of the book. And so how are you doing with this uh, period of uh, getting the word out there about the, this project? Yeah, you know, it's been a really um, surreal week in some ways. Um, the book launched uh, a few days ago, about 10 days ago. And within, you know, the first week it had hit um, Amazon's number one bestseller list. It had hit number one in a few different categories. And the most meaningful, I think, for me as a child immigrant um, was the number one position that it held for a few days in a row in the biographies of immigrants and immigrants category. Because what a powerful... Um, sort of reflection for my younger self about her journey um, to have been, you know, reflected in this book and then have achieved uh, that number one bestseller. But it's, you know, it's surreal. And at the same time, I also want to say that, you know, my life as it exists every day is, is still ongoing. I still go to work. I still, you know, wake up and make my bed. And so my normalcy is still very existent and grateful for my partner, my, my good friendships that keep me grounded. Um, because the book is a, is a powerful and vulnerable piece of myself to have released into the world. Um, but I also want it to um, be a thing that allows me to remain humble, to remain connected to our stories, to remain um, intentional about my purpose in both my work and in my personal life. And um, recognizing that, you know, some of the feedback that I've gotten this week from early readers and people who have devoured the book this since it got released is that they found themselves in the story. They found things that they, that resonated with them, even if they don't share my lived experience. And so that's been some of the the most powerful, um, you know, pieces of feedback that I've really experienced in this last little while. And I guess uh, with this book, uh, this is your first published book? It is, yeah. It is my first publication. And do you have any uh, idea for uh, new writing projects? Yeah, I have a couple couple things percolating, um, you know, in, in the old head of mine here. Um, one certainly is perhaps within the landscape of inclusion and reconciliation, which is my professional landscape, um, you know, and social impact and uh, addressing how it is we contribute to these meaningful systemic changes that we would like to see happen in society. Um, but, you know, another another project that I'm, I'm toying with is also a 
communal book and, and sort of creating an opportunity for communal storytelling, particularly, I think, around um, the focus of food and the stories that food holds for us, the memories that food holds for us. And so um, those are two things that, you know, are, are in the back burner for me, but uh, I'm just going to enjoy for now the, um, the bringing to life of this, this book into the world. All right. Uh, I guess this is the end of the interview. Uh, any more to say before we wrap up? You know, the, the only thing that I would add here is that I hope that the book also acts as an invitation to other people who are considering the opportunity to share their stories, whether it's uh, a smaller story on a blog or, you know, on a stage where they have the opportunity to share or in a book project. I think that uh, if we create more spaces for more vibrant, diverse voices to share their stories. We become a more empathetic, connected world. And so I hope that the book acts as a catalyst um, for other people considering putting their voices out there. Thank you very much, uh, Roselle, for your time today. Hi, this is Jenny. Here are a few literary events in Cali. Single Onion is back at Shelf Life with poets Jenna Butler, Audrey Lane Cockett, and Errol Gordon. It's on January 18th, it's a Thursday at 7 p.m. Also at Shelf Life is author reading Debbie Bateman and Elizabeth Haynes with fiction celebrating women at midlife. Debbie Bateman has a collection of short stories, Your Body Was Made for This. Elizabeth Haynes has her novel, The Errant Husband. The reading is on Wednesday, January 24th at 7 p.m. Wolf's Voices returns. The reading series will be at Shelf Life on February 21st at 7 p.m. It's an evening of poetry, writing, art, and more. Wolf's Voices is partnering with Alexandra Writers Center Society to bring back this event. The lineup is to be announced. Shelf Life is located at 1302 4th Street Southwest in Calgary. Here are a few book titles to take note for January 2024. The Book of Fire by Christy Leftery will be released on January 2nd. In present day Greece, deep in an ancient forest is a family. Irene is a musician. Her husband Tasso is a painter. And they have their young daughter Chara. The book is about a fire that changes everything. Christy left Terry, grew up in London, and is the child of refugees from Cyprus. Her previous novels were The Beekeeper of Aleppo and Songbirds. Cold by Drew Hayden Taylor is a new novel that will be released on January 9th. It's about two women who survive a plane crash. It's a thriller, murder mystery, horror story, along with some humor. Drew Hayden Taylor is a bit away from Curve Lake First Nations in Ontario. He is the author of 30 books, including Motorcycles and Sweetgrass. The Heiress by Rachel Hawkins will be released on January 9th. It's a gothic suspense novel that stars Ruby. When Ruby dies, she is the richest woman in North Carolina. She has also had an eventful life. Her adopted son, Camden, does not want to live in the house or the money. 
He settles for a life as a teacher in Colorado and marries Jules. Ten years later, Cam and Jules are pulled back to the family when an uncle passes away. Come and Get It is the new novel by Kylie Breed. It is also released on January 9th. It is about a residential assistant who takes a chance on career by、um, meeting a visiting professor. She gets entangled with the professor and three students whose lives she finds herself drawn to. The book is about money, indiscretion, And bad behavior. Kylie Reed is the author of the best-selling novel *Such a Fun Age*. *The Colliding Worlds of Mina Lee* by Ellen O will be released on January twenty-third. A Korean-American teenage artist is drawn into her own web comic. She finds her life living in the comic book. World that she has created, and she must find a way out with the help of a cute boy, and fights against the corporate evil. The book is by award-winning author of Finding, Junie Kim, who is the co-founder of We Need Diverse Books. Hi, my name is Jenny Kwong for Writers Block on CJSW nine point nine FM in Calgary. Today, I'm speaking with Wayne Ng about his new book, The Family Code. So, welcome, Wayne. Thanks, Jenny. So glad to be here. So great to have you here on the show. And so today,、uh, your new book, The Family Code. So, tell me a, a little bit about the book. Yeah, so the family code is an edgy family drama about a mother and a son on the margins of life. They're just trying to survive, and by margins, I mean they're they're easily forgotten, they're economically strapped. They live moment to moment, and they're trapped in a never-ending loop of running, running away, making bad decisions, and self-destructiveness. And so, how was you? How were you able to create the dynamic between the mother and the son? Well,、uh, I was a social worker for decades, Jenny, and y- you know, sometimes you hear writing advice where people tell you to write what you know. Sometimes people tell you write what you don't know. I wrote what I felt, and working with kids and families for decades was really moving. So I always knew I'd have a story in me about the many families and the situations and the scenarios and the experiences that they went through. I just didn't know quite what it would look like, but you know, I, it was a privilege to be a social worker and to work so intimately with families. So I'd I'd see kids one on one, I'd see parents, I'd see families together. So I I got to like we all are in families, but when I saw these kinds of families in moments of crises and moments of needs, you know, we stripped down a lot of the layers that many of us have. And I just got to know them really well, and I got to see them interacting with authenticity and honesty, and it was just really moving. So it, it actually came fairly easily to me. And so, what makes it hard for the 
small family to find the help that they need? Well, I think, you know, in we are living in an era where mental health is a challenge for a lot of people, and I think there's better recognition that mental health is something, an obstacle that we many of us deal with. So we don't always have the services available, but I think just getting to the point where people can acknowledge, hey, you know what, we're struggling, we're not at our best, we need help, we got we got issues. That's a big step, and that was a big step for Hannah in my story and for Axel, her son, in the story. They were, as I say, in this never-ending loop of self-destructiveness, making bad choices and decisions. It wasn't until they were able to look in the mirror with the help of people in their lives, community um, professionals, that they got, you know, they're able to develop some insight. I don't want to give the ending away, but... Until we're able to see that we need help, we're never going to get help. So sometimes I think the biggest challenge to changing the tracks that we're on, the self-destructiveness, um, are ourselves. And we need to see that, you know, um, there's somebody I need to talk to about this. So I need, I need some help here. And that's a really, really big step for a lot of families. And that's why I had a career for decades, because people needed help. And I guess, uh, describe the neighborhoods where they live in uh, Montreal. It was uh, it was actually in Ottawa, but they lived off a road called Montreal Road, so I can see the confusion. Um, she actually, came, Hannah grew up in a gated community called Spitzville in Ottawa, which was quite privileged. So I don't want people to get the idea that just because there's mental health issues, there's poverty, that... It's generational. She ran away from her family because she needed to survive. So she made a choice to leave a, a gated community to be in a very low-income, low, you know, dense rental neighborhood called Vanier. They're everywhere. They're in Montreal. They're in Calgary. They're in Dartmouth. Um, you know, where you have a concentration of um, affordable housing, very affordable housing. Um, you have underemployed people, uh, in her particular neighborhood, there's a history of, um, prostitution. There's a lot of drugs, there's a lot of new Canadians coming and going. So there's a lot of, um, turnover in the community, but there's also a core of people who are there for generations. And I think, as I say, they're everywhere in Canada. They're, they're all around us. And part of the message of this book is, the Hannahs of the world, they're everywhere. They're not just, oh, they're another part of town. They're another part of the world. They could be our neighbors. They could be uh, they could be your best friend. You know, Hannah, she, she walks into a room, and you, it's easy to judge her because she's loud. She's aggressive. She's in your face. She's threatening. She just sucks the oxygen out of the room. But she is a hurt person, and hurt people hurt people. So, you know, I, I really want the reader to understand that Ken is a very accessible uh, person who is as normal and as common as anybody else. And I don't want to, people to, to dismiss her because she's from a particular part of town or because she's crude. She's very much like just anybody else in many ways. And uh, tell me about the writing process. As you uh, showed in the video you sent, 
uh, you wrote part of it as part of, at the Joy Kogawa House. Yeah, um, I actually wrote the first draft during the first year of the pandemic, and I, I cleaned a lot of this up well before I got to Joy Kogawa House. But during that first year of the, pan- of the pandemic, it was a rough year for a lot of us, right? And my mother would have a stroke, and she would die six weeks later. The George Floyd stuff happened. The anti-Asian hatred was 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 everywhere. You know, I hit a wall of white fragility and privilege. It was just a really crap, crap, crap year. Turns out, Jenny, it was actually a really good year for me to write because I was in a heightened state of emotion. And, you know, I I needed to channel it somewhere. And as I said earlier, I knew I would write about the many hundreds, thousands of people that I've worked with over the decades. I didn't know what the story would be, but I had a sense of, the isolation, the loneliness, the despair, the darkness. I knew what they had gone through, and I was feeling my own kind of despair because of that year. So it was a perfect time for me to write, and I just, I was banging off a thousand, two thousand words a day for throughout the pandemic, and I had that first draft ready for beta readers probably in eight months, which is a pretty fast process. It would still take a lot of revisions, but I think. If you're writing what you really believe and what you really feel, sometimes it feels like it writes itself, and this story very much felt like it wrote itself at times. And uh, I guess um, uh, with this uh, new book uh, now uh, out in the world, uh, how do you see it being perceived by readers? Well, it's... it's odd because, you know, my mother-in-law, who does, would never read this kind of stuff, because she, she's a Disney reader. She she insists on a happy, syrupy ending where things are really predictable. She's very much a genre reader. She destroyed this in, in two days, you know, because it's, it's an edgy, authentic, in-your-face kind of read. And the best feedback that I'm getting, and I've had a lot of critical reviews from um, industry magazines, but my favorite sort of feedback is from people who said, you know what, this is my story. Thank you for writing it. Uh, this brought me back to some very difficult periods, or, or I know Anna, I know somebody like Anna. It was really relatable because many of the, many of the family stories tend to be middle class, white middle class. And yeah, Hannah is white, but she's, as I said earlier, very much on the margins. And I'm really proud of the fact that I was able to craft a story that speaks to so many people whose lives, whose challenges aren't often articulated. And it's nice hearing them say that. And are you working on any new projects? Yeah. um, You know, I think a writer, once you get going and you've had a couple of books under your belt, you've got multiple balls in the air. So I'm promoting this one. I just handed in my uh, draft, not so much a draft, but almost the finished product of my fourth novel to the editor. We'll go, we'll bounce that around back and forth for a few months before it comes out next fall. And I'm actually working on novel number five, which is going to be um, something that's really challenging me and particularly edgy, but uh, every novel is a little bit different because every novel is an opportunity to grow and say something different. All right. Um, 
I guess uh, this is the end of the interview. Any more to say before we wrap up? Um, well, I appreciate this conversation. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to coming to Calgary. I don't want to blow. Uh, I don't want to blow any advance notice, but I'm going to be doing a couple of events in May. One is uh, a launch for this book, and another is part of a conference. As I said, I don't want to get ahead of um, the people I'm working with, so there will be an announcement uh, I don't, not too far in the future about uh, uh, where and when I'm going to be in Calgary. So I'm looking forward to that, hoping to meet you as well, Jenny, and uh, and to make it to Calgary. It's been a while since I've been there. All right. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Wayne, for your time today. This is Jenny Kwan. You've been listening to Writers Walk on CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary. On this episode was Roselle Ann Gonsalves about her debut, The Ordinary Turn Precious. It's a memoir about her life in India and finding belonging in Canada. You also heard from Wayne Ng about his latest novel, The Family Code. It follows a mother and her son, having a difficult time dealing with trauma. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit www.cjsw.com slash writerswalk.